Welcome to Black Health Matters. I'm Daryl Armistead, your host. This episode is a Zoom recording of Howard University group session led by Dr. Clive Callender. Okay, you want to tell us about the celebration of life of Kevin? Yeah, I wanted to, to add this. Uh, oh. I, I, I didn't send this out to the to the uh, email group. I just thought I'd share with us that attend on a regular because we we got to know Kevin pretty well. Uh, but uh, yeah, so he he passed away. Um, uh, Wednesday before last, and um, he was in he was in surgery. Uh, so <clears throat> the background story: he was he was on the uh, transplant list to get a liver because he had he had, had he had got diagnosed with uh, liver cancer, but he had the uh, the chemo treatment and the the uh, the the tumor had pretty much disappeared. So he was really happy about that part, but then they found a blood clot. Inside, inside of the liver so they took him off the transplant list so he was very upset about that um very discouraged but then they said okay we can we can do a surgery and uh you know try to remove the, the blood clot while he was in surgery for the removal of the blood clot he he coded and um passed away so uh, very sad. He's got these three beautiful grandkids on there. He's got a son and a daughter. And the service is up in uh, Annapolis on the 15th. It's on Sunday. So I'll, I'll, I'll be going to that. Right. Well, yeah, we will miss him very much. Yes. Um, John, he was a musician too, wasn't he? No, no, he, he, he wasn't. No, no, he was, he was just a longtime friend. Okay, yeah, so sad. Seems like he was just with us. Um, sad, yeah. He uh, he got me to, to start golfing, though. He was an avid golfer, <laughs> he, he wasn't very good, but he got me involved. And uh, so I was taking golf lessons with him uh, from a, a golf instructor. And uh, so we got to go out and try to do that. So, okay. John, I'd like to send, send some flowers down to, um, is that a church? No, but uh, cl click on, on that link and it'll, It'll take you right to the um to the uh I think it's a Facebook page and they yeah. they, they really don't want any donations or, or flowers or anything. But oh okay. Yeah, yeah. Click click on that. Do they, have, while do, it's they have, do they have somewhere where you could uh donate uh uh donate something? I I was saying uh they 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 didn't want any any donations, you know. 
Oh, but, okay. Yeah, you know, if if you go to the Facebook page, which that's the link there, you can copy that. I'll, I'll put it in the in the chat eventually. Okay. 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 All right. He was the friend of a musician friend of mine. Oh, okay. Yes. Oh, all and right. he and and last week after we talked, I looked and he had posted this same picture, talking wow. to, talking about Kevin. What was it, Ed Ed Crowley? No, it was Tam Sullivan. Oh, I know they Tam. The, yeah, they have the same last name, but they're yeah. not they're not related. Yeah, I used to play with Tam. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no Tam. About the same amount of time. Mm -hmm. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. All right, Doc. Yeah, go ahead. Mm -hmm. uh, this is the interesting article on uh, as physicians uh, and healthcare providers, uh, how do you prescribe exercise uh, since it's not treatment, but it's prevention. And uh, what is interesting is that uh, uh, we, we probably should spend more time uh, with preventive aspects of health than we do with treatment, because then that would prevent some of the problems from occurring in the first place. Uh, and so this talks about uh, the types of exercise that you should prescribe. And most doctors don't uh, suggest high intensity regimens uh, because uh, if they don't have, uh, if they have cardiovascular disease, that could uh, uh, take them beyond uh, their limits. So that most of the exercise are, are light physical activities. Uh, and and, and uh, they just talk about some of the warning signs if, if, uh, you have cardiovascular disease and you, you have uh, dizziness. Uh, orthopnea is shortness of breath when you uh, lie down. For example, if you have to have pillows to breathe when you lie down, that's called orthopnea. If your heart rate goes over 100, uh, uh, although uh, it's desirable for your heart rate to be about 120, but it's not desirable for you to have a regular heart rhythm. Uh, so it's uh, the rhythm that is really a problem as well. Of course, the rate is over 140, then that's a concern. Uh, I, when you get edema in the low extremities, uh, you think of either uh, varicose veins or uh, heart or kidney disease or liver disease. Chest pain, uh, when it occurs with exercise, is a warning that your coronary arteries are stressed and you need to be examined to see if you have a coronary artery disease. Intermittent claudication, that's a, a form of pain in your calves when you walk. Uh, and that is a sign of poor circulation. Uh, and uh, this, is, this means you should see the doctor about it. And if you have heart murmurs or shortness of breath, uh, and if you get fatigued early, these are some of the reasons why uh, you may not want to recommend high intensity exercises, but, uh, and the exercise that 
most people recommend uh, are uh, that, that 30 minutes a day, five days a week, 150 minutes a week is, is, is uh, the aerobic exercises that uh, are not high, high intensity. And, uh, and those, are the, those are the prescriptions that uh, we as physicians and, and healthcare providers should uh, recommend uh, for all patients. But uh, uh, there's a lack of uh, consistency with which doctors recommend uh, uh, aerobic exercise, strength training, as well as uh, proper nutrition. Some would argue that uh, proper nutrition is not stressed uh, in medical school, but it should be. Although we do have courses on nutrition in medical school. Dr. Callender, what, what is edema? I think I know what it is. Swelling. Swelling. That's where you have swelling. Fluid accumulates in the tissues. And dyspnea? The shortness of breath. Dyspnea is shortness of breath. Oh, where you have trouble breathing and you have to uh, get oxygen. Any other of those terms that I didn't uh, identify for you? Uh, you said orthopnea. Yeah, that's where you uh, have to have a pillow in order for you to breathe while you're sleeping. Some people require one pillow, some two pillows, some three pillows. That suggests you have cardiovascular heart disease. <laughs> but it is, it is clear that uh, uh, exercise is uh, important and uh, Quality, long long life with quality is difficult to, to uh, achieve without proper nutrition and exercise. Did you define um, intermittent claudication? Intermittent claudication is where you have pain in your calves when you walk. Oh. Uh, and, uh, and when you stop walking, it goes away. That's intermittent claudication. And that's a sign that you have poor circulation to the uh, legs. And so you need to get your blood vessels in your legs checked to make sure that, uh, uh, so that can be corrected. Some people have one, one block uh, claudication, some two blocks and uh, yeah, so. But it's a sign of peripheral vascular disease. Now, I remember uh, we had uh, another Kevin who was on uh, waiting for a transplant, subsequently got his transplant, but I think his father died uh, during exercise. So, so there's uh, some exercises that are high intensity uh, that uh, perhaps you shouldn't be involved without getting uh, doctor's exam, of course, as you know, people uh, die in marathons all the time. So, uh, so that doesn't mean you should not do marathons. It just means you should uh, uh, be evaluated prior to that. 
Any comments or questions about that? Not, okay, we'll go to the next one. This is an article that talks about the fact that depression can be a risk factor for type two diabetes. And that uh, there's a direct correlation, whether they're uh, cause and effect is another question, but uh, the fact that many people with, with depression have type two diabetes and vice versa. It's an association that may or not be related, but the fact that the two come together is of interest. Any other thoughts about that? It's a kind of a, a new association of the, of the two without causality being involved. Just know that the two go together. Um, Dr. Callender, what about type one diabetes? Type one is genetic uh, and uh, is, uh, what happens is that you actually have no the pancreas does not produce insulin. And uh, so they're two completely different diseases. And that type one is associated with no insulin production. And type two is associated with insulin production, but the body is resistant to the insulin that is produced. And so uh, it was thought that uh, obesity and some other things are, are responsible for the insulin resistance that occurs with type two diabetes. It's often managed by uh, weight reduction and uh, exercise and proper nutrition, yeah. Uh, good, good morning, everybody. Um, listening to you talk about these two um, things working together or, or being diagnosed as uh, maybe being part of diabetes or having something to do with diabetes. I noticed here lately when my husband has checkups and stuff, they are always asking him about depression. And I'm wondering if that's maybe where they're getting some of the uh, reasons why they, if people say yes, when they ask, because he does have uh, type two diabetes and they, they are, almost always they're asking him some questions about depression. Yeah, there is that association. Uh, but that so far we found no uh, way to link the two together in terms of okay. one thing causing the other. Yeah. So yeah. Just, it just appears to be an association. Yeah, what's the name of your street name? Trizone. 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 He takes Trizone for sleep, but they always question him. Are uh, you taking that because of de depression? And so uh, I'm wondering. Yeah, it's something there that was, would... oh, there, was a, there was a comment earlier in the article that was talking about insulin triggering inflammation in the um, tri triggering inflammation in the brain. And uh, so I don't know if uh, you would classify diabetes as an inflammatory type of illness, but uh, I do know that stress and negative emotions can increase inflammation throughout the body, including the brain. And so maybe that's the link. 
between uh, depression and uh, diabetes. So far, uh, while the link exists, we don't know whether there's causation, but uh, your comments about uh, inflammation are accurate. Yeah. Dr. Callender? Go ahead. When I, when I go to the doctor, uh, any kind of doctor here in the last, I think at least in the last three years, going back to, to before the pandemic, they ask you about depression. Uh, do you have suicidal thoughts? Have you ever thought about killing yourself and, and those types of things? But I wanted to know, I, I, I got depressed many, many years ago after I had a, a traumatic incident and I was treated for it at that time. But I wanted to know, could you be depressed and not know you're depressed? I know that if it says it says things about if you're, you know, stop doing your regular activities and if you don't have, you know, your feelings. But I'm just wondering, could you have depression and not know you have depression? I'm not familiar with that uh, situation. Anybody? Uh, uh, because uh, depression actually... Uh, is something that uh, you would usually be aware of. Uh, so I don't know that uh, you would have depression and not be aware of it. Uh, okay. Do anybody know of any experiences where you, you have depression and you have no idea that you're depressed? I'm not familiar with that entity. Um, Dr. Callender, I always wondered about that because when my doctor does my complete physical once a year, whatever that is, and one of the questions is, are you depressed? And I'm thinking to myself, no, nah. and if I was, I wasn't, I wouldn't tell you. But I'm, you know, I was just thinking, who tells people that they're depressed who are really depressed? <laughs> Well, they they can tell you by their actions, uh, and they in right. the doctor's usually, office just they, five they minutes. Use, they usually know that they're depressed too. Oh, okay. there is there is a social stigma about admitting to depression, and some people are in denial about depression. Uh, you know, sometimes you can observe somebody and you'll make a comment, "Hey, you act like you're depressed," and it's kind of obvious that they are but they may be in denial about depression. Uh -huh. And Carol, that's become a part of my um, regular physicals. I had one last month and that question came out this year, last year. Is it as a result of COVID? Is it because of age? Um, but yeah, it seems to be a follow-up to the physical. Are you depressed? Uh -huh. You think about it, I don't think so, but. You know, maybe at one time, but, and like you said, who, I'm not going to say I don't admit to it, but I don't think I am. So I don't know if that's a part of normal physical exams, Dr. Callender. Is that something that they ask at a certain age? Well, anxiety, you know, I, you may recall, we've had a number of articles on the fact that uh, anxiety is so common now 
And uh, one of the ways in which anxiety manifests itself is depression. But uh, anxiety, uh, and, and many of the articles now recommend as part of all physicals, is that you look for anxiety and depression, especially oh. in people over uh, 65. Elizabeth, you had a question, comment? Yes, uh, one comment. Um, as an educator, um, uh, I was always concerned about the holistic child, okay? And one of the things I incorporated was with every subject I taught as a sixth grade teacher, I had art related. I had, I incorporated PE and art, okay? The constant movement, because I didn't want them sitting a lot. And one of the things that I noticed that throughout my, my 20 plus years is that when I incorporated art, I had one particular student I'll never forget he uh, started off coloring with a, uh, a lot of dark colors. Everything he had was very dark colors. And so I, I kept instilling, you know, things to lighten their day and stuff, you know. And by the end of the year, his, 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 his uh, artwork was very beautiful, very beautiful. Thank you. Yeah, we have a lot of words that are all the same expression. They're all expressions of the same thing, just different levels. You know, we can say anxiety, fear, anger, depression. And we yeah. think there's a difference in all of those words, but they're all just different levels of fear. Uh, there's an old definition that says depression is anger without the excitement. Oh. <laughs> uh. Okay. Uh... I noticed that um, I can't remember how far back it went, but um, <clears throat> I've had uh, Kaiser for you know a long time. They've included uh, I don't know how far back though questions about you know your your feelings. You know how, how are you feeling? Do you feel depressed? Have you ever had suicidal thoughts or anything like that? So um, I, I think it's it's become, you know, pretty standard, you know, in uh, you know health assessments, you know, your your mental state, and you know, I I, I think some people if, if they're younger they may not even realize what what it is, you know, what depression is because it's it's kind of a foreign concept to most people, I think. Okay, let's go to the next one. I, I think it's... Um, I just have one more question. Okay. Okay, a doctor tells you that you have depression and you need to see a psychiatrist. The first thing you want to think is, I'm not crazy. So, and how can you tell me I'm depressed and I shouldn't have told you I'm depressed? I mean, the way our society is, um, how do doctors confront that? I mean... Do doctors actually tell patients they need to see a therapist? I've heard of some that done, and I've heard people's comments. My doctor told me that, but I'm not going to do that. I'm not crazy. So what is your question, though? My question is, how do doctors actually help people who are depressed? We, we recommend uh, that they get uh, psychotherapy or be seen by a psychiatrist or a psychologist. 
Uh, and uh, as you know, John Robinson, who was part of our group, talked about the merits of uh, psychotherapy as well as medication. And many of the uh, uh, studies now indicate that uh, psychotherapy may probably be the most effective way of uh, treating people who have uh, uh, anxiety disorders, including depression. So uh, getting uh, recommending that they see uh, get mental health uh, uh, therapists uh, is part of the uh, prescription for their health. Uh, so that uh, uh, as, uh, uh, as was reported to us at one presentation, uh, if you don't have mental health, then you don't have health. And so it's an important part of your health uh, for you to be uh, mentally healthy. And so our responsibility is to refer you to uh, uh, psychotherapists, psychologists, or psychiatrists if you if you have mental illness as well, because it's just another type of illness. Uh, uh, so you're not healthy if you're mentally ill. Uh, so. So we have a responsibility, therefore, to refer you to somebody to help you get mental, mentally well. Okay, well, Dr. Callender, one more fact. You do know how that sounds to the layman to say that I'm depressed and I need to see a psychiatrist because I'm depressed. Our, my thought is, I'm not gonna spend that extra money. I'll get over my depression or I'll work through it. I don't need to spend money to go to see another one person because the way our culture is, um, and you don't dare tell anybody, but um, Why not? huh? Why not? Because our culture says if you go to a psychiatrist, um, you are really in bad shape. No, that that's past history. Yeah, that's not current. Um, I think it's still history. I think it's still yeah. present today. Well, it shouldn't be, and it's time we got away from that stigma because uh, it's killing people. Uh, and uh, so we need to talk about our physical health as well as our mental health. Uh, and we need to be able to accept the fact that it's okay to see a psychiatrist, okay to see a psychotherapist, because it's part of your uh, ability to stay healthy. And if you're not, uh, if, you're, if you don't have good mental health, you don't have good health. Mm -hmm. that's, the, that's the education we have to teach yeah. our uh, people our age and people younger than us. That uh, uh, you're not healthy if you're mentally ill. So you need to get that illness taken care of you, just as if you had diabetes or heart disease or anything else. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that stigma that we had needs to be uh, eliminated. And we need well, to work do, hard. We need to work hard to eliminate it. How do we eliminate that? Education. That's how we eliminate it, by education. And then trying to teach our children that it's okay to uh, see a psychiatrist. It's okay to see a psychotherapist. It's okay to see a psychologist. And, and so it's just like, I have to educate about uh, organ donation. I still have to educate about mental illness. Uh, and that uh, this is a disease that is, Killing us, suicide. Uh, we, we talked about suicide somewhere in the world every forty seconds. Uh, that's uh, that's a, a serious uh, 
uh, mental health illness that needs to be uh, addressed uh, aggressively. Dr. Calendar, the, um, the word that I think everybody is trying to avoid is crazy. <laughs> you know, uh, crazy you know, is, these days is inappropriate. Uh, mental illness is the proper term. You're right. People are avoiding crazy because crazy doesn't doesn't really tell you anything. It doesn't say what kind of mental illness you have. Uh, it's just a, a term that we use that was used in a derogatory fashion. And so we are trying now to use words that uh, don't uh, denote uh, uh, negative characteristics and to say that you you have a mental illness that can be treated uh, is uh, the positive way of approaching it and is a, a, an approach that is necessary as we move towards good health because good health requires you to have mental health. Yeah. Well, I'm not I'm not mentally ill. I just have some adjustment challenges. <laughs> and I think we all do, but I think that theory going to talk to someone or a psychiatrist, it's it is a myth. Well, years ago you would use the word that John used. Yeah, she crazy or he crazy. They're talking to a psychiatrist. But um I know of too many people today who will go talk to someone. And they feel relieved. Sometimes if you talk to an individual and whether it's professional or not, but in this case, I'm speaking about a professional, you get relief. You tell that person things that you wouldn't tell someone else, or they might give you a response to feelings or questions that you can't receive from a friend or a loved one. I think going to a psychiatrist or a mental professional professionalist or someone in that category, I think it's helpful to a lot of people today. It's not quite like it used to be. Yeah, I, I think a lot of people need mm -hmm. need help with mental health. And uh, I, I think that's uh, a more polite way, you know, to, to talk about it. We, you know, many of us have mental health issues. Mm -hmm. That doesn't make us crazy. Right. Or you know, and, and a, a, a psychologist or a psychotherapist can can help a lot of people. Especially, uh, you know, in our society, when we have so many children who are associated with uh, trauma, uh, trauma at an early age is a, a, a common cause of mental illness. And, and the sooner that can be treated uh, the better it is, uh, because in the long run, it, it may decrease the likelihood of of uh, illnesses. Uh, Dow talked about inflammation. Uh, inflammation manifests itself manifests itself in many ways, uh, and uh, and ill health is uh, one of the manifestations of uh, of, uh, of trauma and uh, uh, mental health that uh, progresses without treatment. Uh -huh. Yeah, women are more likely to find somebody to talk to. Men just uh, bottle it. Are more likely to bottle it up, not find anybody to talk to about negative feelings and emotions, and just become psychopaths. Well, you crazy. Mary Ellen, you had a comment? Oh no. Okay. 
All right, uh, so that, uh, so I've had a healthy discussion on uh, on depression and uh, mental health and stigmas that uh, abound, but uh, need to be minimized or eradicated. Mm -hmm. Well, this is, <laughs> this is something that it finally, the FDA is, and the CDC have approved uh, the, the uh, uh, new uh, coronavirus uh, vaccine. Uh, and, uh, uh, the question is, uh, who should receive them and when? And uh, uh, what do you do if, if you uh, are overdue for the old booster uh, and the new booster now is a is approved, but is is not available. What What are your thoughts? What do you do, and uh, what is the recommendation? And uh, I think it's it's pretty clear that now we we have three vaccines that you need to take, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, uh, yep. it's also is true that the new uh, vaccine makes the old vaccine outdated. And so from this point on, uh, the uh, uh, new up updated vaccine is what should be taken by anyone, and along with the RSV and the flu vaccine. So those are the three uh, vaccines that one should take. Um, and uh, I guess the, the key, key phrase that you need to recognize is that uh, certainly before November, you should have all three of those vaccines. Uh, any comments or questions about the, we talked about this last week, but uh, last week the vaccine was not available. Uh, this week it's probably not either, but but uh, it is now approved by FDA and the CDC. So, so Dr. Counter, we have five articles about this, but this article is from over a year, a year ago, 22. I was wondering about that. Uh-uh. Well, I think it's, uh, it's, it's interesting because it's, it, the date does not, the booster is, is just came out, uh, was just approved and it's uh, 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 available, it probably has not been released yet. Uh, okay. Maybe released any day or so. But it's, if you went to the pharmacy today, you couldn't get it. Right. But this this article is from, like I said, a year ago. Yeah, right. Well, oh, so this is talking about the last booster. Right, the concept is there. But we got several other articles. I'm going to go ahead to the next one. Yeah, okay. That's my birthday. Um, <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, and that's, that, that's what is, is, is new about this is that they... They have uh, the design to address the recent COVID variant. And uh, this is why uh, it is not recommended at this point that you no longer receive the bivalent uh, vaccines because uh, uh, they, they, don't, they are not uh, as up to date as these. And so that's why they're not called a booster, as a matter of fact. It's called uh, updated vaccine in contrast to the term booster. And that's what uh, 
that Mr. Buchanan was talking about the fact that uh, it's not a booster. It's really you could argue that it's not. It's still a booster, but it, but it's a it's one that is uh, uh, addressing the recent variants, so that uh, the bivalence now are past history, and uh, the uh, updated uh, updated vaccine is what is okay for the for those who are going to get the corona vaccine, coronavirus vaccine. You want the new updated uh, vaccine, not the booster okay. Okay. anymore. Not the booster anymore, so keep that in mind. Uh, and so th there's gonna be a lot of confusion and, and uh, misunderstandings about it. But uh, recognize that uh, uh, the bivalent booster as soon as that uh, updated uh, vaccine becomes available, will be out, outmoded and uh, will be okay. no longer provided. Now, what is interesting, if you go to the pharmacist today, you would get the bivalent vaccine, but that, that is no longer uh, the vaccine that you should take. Hmm. Now we have another issue also, which has to do with the uh, finances. And that uh, uh, while, while we will have this uh, updated uh, vaccine, uh, those who have no insurance uh, will not be provided with the ability to, uh, to do, take the vaccine until uh, uh, October. And so that poses a problem to those people who have no insurance. That's an issue that we haven't uh, addressed yet. Uh, well, we've addressed it, but it's gonna occur in October. And uh, uh, that, is, that is a concern for those people who have no insurance. Any comments or questions about uh, uh, the, the, the uh, the new flu preparations for the winter season. Doctor, could you get all three vaccines at the same time? When they are available, yes. But remember, they have to be in different uh, uh, needles. Get three, right. three shots, but yes, you can. Right. When they're available. Okay. RSV, uh, some... Some pharmacies still don't have RSV, and uh, the flu shot uh, most have, and the coronavirus they don't have yet. So, so it's a little early to be getting all three of them. I have a question, Doc. So I got my second bivalent in May, I think it was last year. Um, when the new May of last year or May of this year? Uh, of, of this year, of this year, I'm sorry. And um, when this new uh, vaccine comes out, is it too early to, to get it? Or do I have to wait six months? No, no, you get it whenever it becomes available. Okay. Don't wait because this is now uh, different. And so as soon as it becomes available, you can, you can take it. Thanks. Um, 
I was reading, I heard you say we could get all three vaccines at the same time, but I read um, in the AARP magazine that it is okay to get the pneumonia and the COVID vaccine together. I mean, the flu and the COVID vaccine together, but the RSV, you should take it at a separate time. Well, most of the uh, recent data suggests that you can take all three at the same time, uh, but you should never combine any of them. Uh, they, are, they should be separate shots. Yeah, separate shots, yeah. Okay. All three of them should be separate shots. Okay. But if you want to separate them, that's okay. It wouldn't hurt, but uh, the evidence suggests as long as you don't mix them, uh, they can be given uh, at the same time. Now, of course, that's three different shots. So you may want to, uh, you may not want to take all three at the same time, but. Uh, you have to get them in your arm? No, you can get them anywhere you want them, you know, as long as they're given subcutaneously. Okay. Your butt is bigger, so uh, mm -hmm. you can get them in your butt too. But most people just get it in the shoulder. Is this frightening to get three shots at the same <laughs> time? It's frightening to get one. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I'm laughing. He said yeah. it's frightening to get three. <laughs> Especially, especially I didn't get any of them. <laughs> especially in your butt. No, I'd rather in my butt. I get one in each arm and then in my butt. That's enough. <laughs> <laughs> I sense. heard that you don't feel it in your stomach. Is that true? I think you feel it less in your stomach. Still, it's an injection. But, you know, many people who are diabetics, that's where they take their shots because they think they have less less pain. Oh, and if you got a lot of fat around your stomach, that's less pain than that? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Oh, it's like okay. your like your butt. Yeah. Except it's easier to get to. <laughs> Which yeah. one's easier to get to? The your stomach. Belly. The stomach. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So if I just go and say I want it in my stomach, they'll give it to me in my stomach. Yeah. yeah. Can I get my shingles in my stomach? I don't. I, I don't know that it matters where you get it, uh, uh, whether you get it in your shoulder or your stomach. Because that thing hurts. Yeah, it does. I heard of a friend of a friend got the flu shot and got really sick. Had to go to the hospital after getting the flu shot. That can occur with any shot. So uh, you're right. There, there. There's some people who who do get problems after getting uh, vaccinated. Could that be a reaction to the to the substrate? Because flu uses that um, sometimes a live culture or something in there. I don't know why uh, 
that your your friend uh, what they reacted to. I can't tell. I wouldn't know. Mm -hmm. Dr. Callender, this is Sylvia. Is there any information on um, the testing of the new shot on individuals who actually you know, have received all their shots, or is there any information where you can uh, read the impact of the new uh, um, COVID shot? Uh, uh, probably not until uh, it it uh, it comes out. Uh, right now, uh, uh, there isn't a lot of information on it. But uh, after FDA approves it, which it has, and CDA, CDC has approved it, which it has, information should be forthcoming shortly. Okay, thank you. Any other comments or questions? Important topic because very timely since uh, it's important to get these vaccines uh, done before November. Because uh -huh. that's when most of the... Uh, the uh, respiratory, respiratory illnesses begin. Some people have already had RSV, uh, but uh, many people haven't. And we've never had a vaccine for RSV before. So this is brand new. You know, Dr. Dr. Callender, it seems like we're at war. Well, uh, we've been at war. <laughs> with the viruses <laughs> and for the most part they have uh, the vaccines have helped us win the battles Dr. Val uh, uh, Dr. Callender I was in a RSV study and it ended um, at the uh, 1st of August but they didn't tell us which people got the vaccine and which didn't so it wouldn't make a difference if I went on and had the vaccine again, would it? Well, now, are they still not going to tell you if you ask? They have. I've asked a few times. I've called and asked, and they said that they don't have the information. They, they, how, how recently have you called? Last week. Wow. That's amazing. Hmm. They still have, they said they were going to send a letter, but they never sent a letter. Mm. Wow. They just called me on the phone and told me that it was through. And to to make sure that that was correct, I called them and they said, yes, that was true. I said, well, did I have the vaccine or did I have the placebo? And they said, uh, you'll get a letter. And I waited two weeks. I didn't get a letter. And so I've been calling every week since the first makes of sense. August. Yeah, it makes and sense. And they, they haven't told me whether or not I had the vaccine or not. Yeah, you need to know. You're right. Absolutely. That's one of the things about most of these studies. They do have a placebo arm, which means you didn't get the vaccine. And so you, you do need to know. So you know whether you need to get the RSV or not. But would it hurt me if I got it? I don't know the answer to that question because we've never had the RSV um, oh, okay. before. So this is the first uh, Well, time. if they don't give me an answer, is there somebody that I could go to that regulates people that do this kind of thing to make them to follow the correct protocol? Well, I think they, they, they may be following the 
protocol, but I think uh, now that it has been released, uh, because you didn't have, uh, although the RSV has been FDA approved, I'm not sure where it's available right now. Uh, and so you need to call them back again this week and let them know that you you, you want to know. And if, and, and if that person does not give you the answer, ask them to let you speak to somebody higher up in the organization so okay. they can give you an answer because you, you deserve the right, to, you have the right to know. Okay, thank you. Any other questions about the, these times because uh, we're getting into the respiratory flu season, so. And the flu shots are available, but the other two, the timeliness is not quite clear. Because I was in the pharmacy the other day and a lady was asking for RSV and the pharmacy had not received it yet, so. Okay, let's go to the next one. This article is about long COVID. Yeah, this is an interesting uh, one because uh, uh, long COVID means that these people have had COVID for some time. And uh, how do they, should they take the shot? And uh, to me, it's clear that they should because uh, uh, you still have new COVID variants. And since people are getting COVID and getting hospitalized uh, at increased rates, uh, it appears to me that uh, they, would be, they would be subject to the new variants as well. Uh, although I must add that uh, uh, we are still learning about long COVID uh, and uh, Time will tell in terms of what is actually the right thing to do. It's clear for the immunocompromised patient that uh, uh, that they need to get the vaccines. The only question is how effective will these vaccines be for the immunocompromised patient? But uh, there's no question that they should get the vaccines. Now, a lot, of, a lot of people are still asking questions about uh, what are the studies on the, the new vaccines and how do we know that they're gonna be as good as the other vaccines? And some of the data has not been released. Uh, and there's still people coming down with some, uh, some elements of uh, long COVID and also elements of uh, what they, they think are related to uh, vaccines. Uh, and so uh, we don't know all there is to know about long COVID. Uh, and so therefore uh, the recommendations are varied, but to me, it's clear that uh, they are eligible to get the 
new variants as well as anybody else. So. One of the things that is also true is that uh, we've only had this uh, issue since 2020. And so we, I don't know all there is to know about uh, the long-term impact of uh, these infections. And of course, the newest of these is RSV. Yes, John. Is, is there a, a percentage of all the people that actually got the long COVID as compared to the regular COVID? I don't know the answer to that question, uh, John. And uh, I think that's something that uh, I'll try to get for the next time, but I don't know the answer to that because that, uh, that's an important question. It, it seems like, it seems like there are, uh, it's, it's kind of fantastic, it's, you know, newsworthy, you know, the long code. It, 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 and a lot of people are afraid of COVID because of the idea of long COVID not having your taste and smell for, you know, six months, eight months, a year. There, there's some people who who got it and still have it, um, right? And, and it looks like that that is of uh, far less than twenty percent of people who have gotten long COVID, but that's a significant number. Uh, Doctor Counter, do they uh, treat long COVID with these vaccines? Now remember, the vaccine is to prevent, right? Prevent, not not treat, and so the treatment for the illness would be different from the vaccine. Okay. I think Paxlovid would work with long COVID. Say say again. Paxlovid. Yeah. The treatment. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's treatment as well, and, and there's another uh, monoclonal antibody that they have that treats it as well. Yeah. Uh, from the National Institute of Health, it says, as of April, the federal government's household pulse survey estimates that about 10% of adults infected with the virus continue to experience and suffer from the many symptoms termed together as long COVID. So 10% of COVID cases are long COVID. Thanks. Thank you. Okay, let's go to the next one. Uh, now, this is... Uh, Makes you almost uh, want to cry to <clears throat> see that uh, people who have menopausal symptoms uh, don't take advantage of treatment. Uh, you know, it's interesting to see people who have menopause and uh, because of uh, because of uh, lack of education, they are concerned about getting estrogen treatment that may cause cancer. And so uh, as a consequence, many of them will just refuse, although vaginal creams uh, are unlikely to give you the uh, cancer that you get from the systemic uh, estrogen treatment. But still, many people, because of this, they don't uh, get any treatment at all. And uh, this is... Uh, uh, something that 
is a, is a concern. Uh, there's, and, and a lot of it is related to uh, the fact that we know that hormone replacement therapy does have side effects and complications. Uh, but that's mostly for this systemic uh, therapy. And there's been many studies that have demonstrated that there are side effects to hormonal replacement therapy. And uh, as a consequence, uh, some women just refuse to have any treatment for the menopause symptoms at all. And, uh, and, and, and a lot of people don't recognize that there are vaginal uh, side effects of the, of the menopause that re require only vaginal creams to help that. And uh, you can also get yourself a nice size fan. Say again. You can also get yourself a nice size fan. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, you you see a lot of them. You see a lot of them. Yeah, especially in I church. change my whole wardrobe. I just wear short sleeves, and I do carry fans, and I have fans all around my house. In any house that I frequent, I have fans at those houses. <laughs> That's common. Yeah. I, I know when I um, was going through menopause and I had an older doctor and as my primary care doctor. And I don't even know that I was really going to a um, gynecologist for, anyway, he, he uh, would not, uh, prescribe estrogen he's he said that the woman's body is supposed to produce what is needed and so he he wouldn't prescribe it and since I'm kind of anti-medicine anyway I was glad so I never took estrogen anything yeah yeah well it's interesting you know um Oh, you got a lot of back. No, you got a lot of background noise. Yeah. So, well, uh, how many of you have thought about taking uh, estrogen, or has anybody on this ever taken estrogen? No. No. <clears throat> no. And, and is that related to the fact that uh, estrogen is thought to be related to Increased cancer and heart yes. attacks. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Okay, it makes sense. It makes sense. That might have been his reasoning, but he didn't mention cancer. He just said he didn't prescribe it. Uh -huh. But that was his reason there. Probably. Cardiovascular disease as well as cancer. Uh, but uh, uh, I think in this article, they're talking a lot about the uh, vaginal creams that may do away with some of the vaginal symptoms, whereas you're talking about systemic sy symptoms, which uh, would require hormonal replacement treatment. And there are studies which uh, seem to link 
uh, arteriosclerosis and cancer. Okay, let's go to the next one. Uh, we've talked a lot and uh, had many articles that show how sleep protects brain function by uh, detoxifying and eliminating toxins from the brain by sleep. And uh, this study looks at another way in which uh, um, the only problem with the study is that uh, a lot of that uh, related to mice. And so the question is, does a lot of this also relate to humans? And so the genetic studies in humans found that uh, uh, this phenotrophin uh, drug uh, is what is uh, thought to be a problem. And so uh, uh, this is a mechanism by which uh, the sleep uh, helps by decreasing the amount of this compound. And uh, I guess all it says again is that sleep uh, is one of the important factors of contributing to longevity. And one of the ways it does so is by allowing the brain to be detoxified. And uh, this is just one of the compounds that they found. And uh, they found that it accumulates in sleep deprivation. And then uh, people who sleep normal hours, it goes down. And so this then is another reason why we should get uh, six to eight hours of sleep a night. Uh, we still have a, a cohort of people who uh, never get six hours of sleep a night uh, and they feel fine. So. Uh, but anyway, that's still the recommendation. Any comments or thoughts about the role that uh, insomnia and uh, not getting six to eight hours of sleep a night? Uh, affects the brain and affects longevity. It's interesting, I saw this, this guy was 113 who talked about how he had had no, uh, he had poor nutrition uh, and did nothing to live to be 113, but he's 113 years old anyway. So there are oh. people who lived to long ages who uh -huh. do everything right, and there are people who lived long ages who do nothing right. So that's right. Interesting. Yeah. But how many people live to be on 13? <laughs> <laughs> Not many. So yeah. Janice, you had something to say? No. <laughs> Nobody has anything to say. Okay. I wanted to ask, this study doesn't say anything. The one before this article didn't say anything about REM sleep. Oh, yeah. Well, you remember we talked about that before, and uh, 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 I'm not so sure that uh, we know as much as we need to know about REM sleep. And 
whether that REM sleep is really all it's uh, hyped up to be. Uh, and uh, But you're right, this article doesn't say anything about it. In the articles before uh, that we had about, talked about REM sleep, didn't really demonstrate uh, that uh, uh, REM sleep was uh, so important. Although uh, we have a lot of uh, suggestions that REM sleep is desirable, but uh, you're right. This article doesn't talk about REM sleep. I must have been on. What is REM sleep? Well, that's where you have rapid dreams. That's where you have eye, rapid eye movement, and, and it's thought to be associated with dreams, and it's, it's thought to be good for you. It shows that you're really dealing when you sleep and you're having dreams. That's the rapid eye motion, as you said, what it stands for, uh, and it's thought to be correlated with uh, uh, good sleep, but. If you look at the percentages, it's uh, most of the sleep is not REM sleep. So uh, the question is, uh, is it overrated or not? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. So to sleep and have dreams, I know someone almost every night, that person the next morning, girl, let me tell you what my dream was about last night. <laughs> we have dreams all the time. So is that a healthy oh, thing? Uh, some people don't dream at all or seldom dream. But this person, unless they're lying, they always got a big dream. Yeah, some people do have the that gift of having dreams. and Yeah. But uh, I think most of us don't dream all the time. We dream <laughs> occasionally. I dream all the time. Yeah. 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 yeah, and it varies uh, from person to person. Uh, how many of you dream all the time? I dream all the time. I do. I do. I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> Is that an indication of being healthier? Or I don't, I, these I, people, I, I, another question, these people that dream all the time, do you normally dream longer than the six hours that we just talked about? Most people who have the dreams, they don't know how long they dream. And, right. and they do objective tests to determine whether or not you have rapid eye movements. And so, uh, but even when they do that, the percentage of people who have dreams and have rapid eye movement is probably about 20% or less. Yes, uh, I didn't mean that they dream for six hours. Do they sleep longer periods? I don't sleep long anymore. If I get five hours, I tell myself that's a good night. And, but then again, I don't dream either. So are the dreamers people that sleep longer periods during the night, possibly? Hey, no. Well, you know how many hours you sleep at night, and some people sleep a full eight hours, and some people need 10 hours. Um, mm -hmm. Some need less. I sleep less, but it's rare that I have a dream. Um, so I'm, I was just wondering if there's a correlation between those people that dream, are they the ones that sleep longer during the night? I don't know the answer to that question. And I don't know that well, that I'm answer. asking those who raised their hand and said they dream um, frequently and if they uh, sleep longer during the night. Some people have shorter periods of sleep and some sleep longer. They get that eight hours of sleep. 
Okay, REM sleep is is not associated with the length of time that you sleep because uh, you usually get about three to five REM cycles per night, but the first one occurs about 90 minutes after falling asleep. So, you know, that's just an hour and a half. Most people are going to get far more than an hour and a half of sleep. Um, so with those three or five REM cycles, during each cycle, you could get uh, more than one dream uh, because generally every time uh, you turn over or your body moves, uh, that'll stop one dream. And if you're in a REM cycle, then you enter in, enter into another dream. So, uh, no, that, that would not be associated. People that, um, that are more prone to remember their dreams, and you can't make the assumption that just because you don't remember your dreams that you don't have dreams. Uh, the only way to say, uh, if, you, if you do a sleep study and they notice REM sleep, then you're in a dream whether you remember it or not. Dr. Yeah, Kelly, how, how do they determine REM sleep? How do they measure your rapid eye movement? I don't know how they measure it, but they, they do have a way of measuring uh, while you're asleep. I'm not sure how they do it. Any other comment about uh, that? I, I think uh, I, whether you dream or not, I think uh, the uh, expectation is that you need at least six hours of sleep every night. That's the minimum. And there have been many studies that demonstrate that less than six hours a night uh, is not associated with the brain being able to de detoxify itself. Yeah, I heard you say six hours of sleep a night. Does it have to be at night? No. Okay, as long as it's six hours during a 24-hour period. Right. Okay, thank you. Yeah, well, if you want the target of adequate sleep to six to eight hours, um, you know, eight to nine is probably a sweet spot for a lot of people. It's just that you have to put the, uh, the components such as exercise, diet, and stress avoidance, you put those together and uh, you'll get adequate sleep, generally, if you're not sick. Any other questions? If not, uh, uh, we'll move on. Uh, it's interesting that uh, uh, many of us have body temperatures is, uh, at uh, at 98.6, but I know I'm lower. Uh, and uh, and I know a number of people are, are lower. Uh, but one thing is that uh, even though 98.6 is considered the normal, uh, certainly if you're higher than 100 or lower than 96, you're probably gonna have issues. And, uh, but it's, it's still, something that uh, uh, we still, uh, in, in medicine, we we, we still say that 98.6 is the normal temperature. But if you're at 99 or if you're 97, it's the only difference is you may react to uh, the environmental temperature a little differently if your temperature is less than 97 and 37 uh, and 97, and if your temperature is higher than 99. 
RH negative blood types typically have lower body temperature, uh, as down to even 95. But uh, 96 is very common for RH negative. My wife is RH negative, and she stays at uh, either high 95 or 96. Does she respond to environmental temperature any different than you? Uh, yeah, she does. And I should know the difference. But I've only been married for a month now, so uh, <laughs> I haven't captured all the nuances, nuances between us. You know, I'm more concerned. I'm more uh -huh. concerned with whether I'm comfortable in bed. But um, okay, yeah, okay, I I got this one. Uh, at night, uh, she puts the um, uh, the comforter on her side of the bed, and I kick it off of mine. So <laughs> I sleep warmer with my higher body temperature, and so she's cold, and uh, she likes more cover. Okay, that's it. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah, I, I fall into that category as well. Yeah, low body temperature. Yeah. Okay, it doesn't seem as though that, that there's any pathology identified with it, but it's interesting that uh, uh, the temperature in women tend to be high than in men, but uh, the temperature declined with age as well. So as we age, our temperature, body temperature decreases. Okay, is that, do we have yeah. any more? Yeah, we got a couple more. Yeah, Doc, I, I noticed that, you know, when I go uh, get my temperature checked, I, I went to NIH yesterday to, to donate. I did my 107th blood donation, and uh, my my temperature was 96-something. Uh, yeah. And it's usually low. I, I can't remember when it was 98. Uh-huh. Uh -huh. I've always noticed yeah. it's, been, it's been low like that. Yeah. Interesting, interesting. Okay, let's go to the next one. Dr. Callender, uh, while yes. we go to the next one, uh, I think I saw something where it says, uh, when you yarn, you are regulating the temperature of your brain and that your brain temperature is lower than your body temperature. In other words, your brain temperature is around 86 average. Okay. All right. I'm not, no, I'm not familiar with any of that information. No. Okay, this is uh, Jimmy Buffett. I don't know any people who know his music, but uh, he died of uh, Merkel cell cancer. Uh, but it's rarer than melanoma. And uh, this is... Uh, uh, skin cancer that uh, is commoner among lights, whiter skinned people. And uh, it's thought to be related to the sun again, as most of uh, uh, skin cancer is. And uh, also, uh, it's also associated with a, a virus. Uh, so, but anyway, I don't know. Are, are there any Jimmy Buffett fans out there? I don't know his music. No, I'm not a parrot no. here, though. Yeah, he, he was a good writer. Also, he, he 
he liked the uh, Maryland area. Uh, he liked to go boating and fishing. And, he, and whenever he was in the area, he would, he would book a gig uh, in Baltimore or this area so he, he could get, go fishing and get crabs. <laughs> so you knew, you knew a lot about him, huh? Just just a little bit. It came out, you know, after his death. But you know, it it is an issue that sailors and divers and swimmers, especially sailors, fishermen, have a higher incidence of skin cancer because yeah. not just the direct sun. The uh, uh, radiation, but also the reflected sun off the uh, ocean, off the sea. So, okay, you know, do you know that song Margaritaville? I never. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. It's five o'clock somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. Let's go to the next one. This was a, I thought was shocking uh, that uh, U.S. hospitals paid a hundred million dollars to Russian oh. ransomware hackers. Mm. That's uh, wow. There are three hundred uh, organizations in the U.S., including hospitals. But to think that they spent an average of nearly eleven million dollars cyber attack. Wow. Oh. And it's amazing how they traced a lot of them to Russia. It's amazing. And so many hospitals have been targeted. I know Hospital Center, Howard, George Washington. I mean, so it's amazing. Yeah. And it's also amazing how many of these criminals are still at large. Individual hackers, though, uh, you don't hear that much of, although you, they, they hit uh, uh, big companies because they have big money. But they also hit small targets as well, but we don't hear that much about it. Why would they pay, doctor? Because they, they, they have their, their information and they won't release it. And so... Uh, in order to get the information, that's why they pay. So if they don't pay, what do they do? Destroy the information? Yes. Okay. That's a lot shut down the hospital's computer know, but system. You know what? To me, that means they need to keep, still keep the old way and the new way. You know, keep files in a file and keep them on, you know, they used to have files. They still do. Now everything is electronic, and if they destroy the electronic, you don't have anything. Yeah. That's crazy. And they after me for $25 that I paid. <laughs> and I can't prove that I paid six <laughs> years ago. <laughs> Mary Ellen, are you familiar with uh, microfish? That's the way they used to do it uh, back in the day. They might still do it, but they it's a storage method. Uh -huh. you store, you know, you know, millions of words of information on a little 
thin film. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, I, is I was Mary Ellen. Her call has um, been forwarded to us. Oh, the old way. I'm familiar with file cabinets. Right. I got loads of file cabinets in my house. Yeah, loads of information. I remember one time I was getting ready to refinance my house and they kept telling me that I didn't have the information from one of the um, people that um, I had financed through. And I went to my file of all of my records since I had ever had a bike account. And mm -hmm. I went through them and I came up with the name and it went right through. So uh -huh. there's nothing wrong with files. That's what I said. <laughs> okay, okay. Other thing is, I thought uh, technologies, I know they're trying to do the uh, concern about the carbon. Yeah.